Loads of research shows that human beings seem to be wired to hear and focus on bad news rather than good news. Maybe that's why the women heading to the tomb early Sunday morning expect to find a dead body. Three times in Mark's Gospel, Jesus promised that he was not only going to die, but on the third day be raised from the dead. The women don't seem to remember this or believe it. They plan to anoint Jesus' body as a way of showing their last respects. And they're preoccupied with a very practical problem. A huge stone had been rolled in front of the tomb, and they'll never be able to move it. Who will roll away the stone for us, they ask. No sooner do they speak these words than they look up and realize the stone is out of the way, and the tomb is open. They're so shocked that the good news that the angel delivers barely registers. He has been raised. He is not here. He has been raised. The angel uses the passive voice. Jesus has been raised. He tells us that Jesus didn't raise himself, but doesn't spell out who did it, how it happened. We know, of course, who is behind this. This morning's psalm shouts for joy. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. God did it. Resurrection is what God does. The women at the tomb don't get this at first. They see the angel, they hear the news, but they don't immediately accept or understand or believe. And so Mark ends his gospel with this confusion. The original Greek is, the women went out from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them. They said nothing to anyone they were afraid for. That's how it ends in the Greek. The English translation solves this by moving the preposition, but that doesn't solve the problem of the gospel. Matthew, Luke, and John all show us how Jesus appeared after the resurrection, showed his wounds, breaking bread with the disciples, even sharing a fish breakfast on the beach, even, but not in Mark. The early church was so uncomfortable with Mark's non-ending that later writers tacked on three separate, carefully packaged, very churchy-sounding endings. Two of them appear in our pew Bibles. All of them take away the ambiguity by adding post-resurrection appearances of the risen Christ. The oldest manuscripts of Mark's Gospel don't include these endings, so most scholars conclude that the original account in Mark ends right here, with the women running scared. Why would Mark do this? Did he get up from his desk to make a sandwich and forget to come back? I don't think so. I think he left it this way because that's where we are. We aren't sure whether we can trust this good news. We're still more focused on the bad news, and there's plenty of it. Global warming, deadly drought, endless war, racism built into the system, staggering economic inequality right here in Marin, religious conflict all over the world, Christians participating in it, and then there's our own personal immediate problems, loss of a job, underemployment, struggles with raising our kids or aging parents, illness, addiction, depression, 
fears of not being enough. Who will roll away the stone for us? The women's question is still echoing in their ears and lingering on their lips as they run from the scene, and the question lingers in our hearts and minds as well. Who will roll away the stone for us? As Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, who will rescue me from this body of death? Who will save us from ourselves? The angel has the answer. Don't you remember what he said? He's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Go find him in Galilee. Look in Galilee, where you live your ordinary lives. Look for him where you mend and break relationships, find and lose hope, grow and get stuck. Look for meaning and give up on it. Look for him in the world that is wired to focus on the bad news. Glennon Doyle Melton is an author and blogger who describes one of her own Galilee moments. She was teaching a Sunday school class in a church sanctuary one morning and noticed a new student, Ryan. Ryan's eyes were dark and deep and maybe a little sad. Glennon's fellow teachers started the lesson with songs and then they had quiet time when she says they all went into that still, small space in our hearts where we can listen for God. Halfway through the quiet, Ryan motioned to Glennon in a way that said, can you come here but not make a big deal out of it? So she sat down next to him and kept facing forward so that he could take his time in telling her whatever it was he needed to tell her. Finally, he tapped her on the shoulder and she leaned down He looked out at the big sanctuary and said, Excuse me, is God coming? He looked around again as though he were expecting God to show up, like Ronald McDonald shows up occasionally at McDonald's. Glennon realized that Ryan had just asked her the question that every single human being who has ever looked around a fancy sanctuary or a busted-up family or a hurting friendship or a shocking diagnosis, or a messy world, is thinking, excuse me, is God coming? Glennon says she swallowed hard and said, Ryan, that is the best question I have ever heard. She asked if it was okay to share it with the rest of the children, and he nodded, so she said, this person has just asked me an honest, beautiful, important question that I, the most Uh, important question I've ever heard anyone ask in my whole entire life. He looked around this room and said, is God coming? And the children grew quiet, and at that point, Glennon says she began trying to answer Ryan's question. She said, I don't have an answer. No one does, really. But here's my hunch. I think God's already here. I don't think we wait for God to come as much as we bring God to each other. I think God is inside me and you, Ryan. It's like, you know, cookies have sugar in them, and that's what makes them delicious. We have God in us. That's what makes us delicious. And I think God sent us to be here for each other because God's inside of us. So God knows that if we show up, God's here too. God sends us to each other because we are all God's family, and sometimes family members send each other. You know how sometimes your daddy sends your mommy to pick you up and sometimes your mommy sends your daddy? 
And all the little kids raised their hands and nodded, except for Ryan, who said, my daddy doesn't pick me up, my daddy's in heaven. The teachers froze because suddenly those deep, sad eyes made perfect sense, and all the kids got really quiet in the holy reverence for Ryan and his daddy and his questions. And when Glennon finally pulled herself together, she walked over to Ryan and silently prayed, please, God, help me be present for this amazing boy you just sent me. And then she started speaking very quietly to him. She said, Ryan, your daddy is in heaven? And Ryan nodded. She said, I see. Well, my guess would be that God and your daddy are together there, and God sent me and your teachers and these friends to be here with you today so that we could love you for God. I think that God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And I think that God sent you here for me too, Ryan. I think that you are my gift from God today. And magic happens when we go where God sends us, doesn't it? It's like God sends us places to meet God and others and to be God for others. And then Glennon says she went out on a big limb that appeared right in front of her. Ryan, she said, I don't know how you can know if God is here or not, but here's what happens to me when I notice God is with me. My heart starts to feel bigger. It feels like it's swelling up. It feels like it's getting so big it might crawl out from my throat. Like right now next to you, my heart feels huge, like somebody pumped it full of air. I think this heart swelling is sometimes how God reminds me that God is with me. Ryan's face that had been so serious and so sad broke into a smile that made it abundantly clear that God used the heart swelling trick on him too. But he just didn't know it was God doing it. He said quietly, I know what you mean. Is God coming? I know what you mean. Then, says Glennon, she asked Ryan if she could hug him, and he said yes, and he squeezed her tight, and then the other teachers had to take over the class because Glennon couldn't speak for the rest of the time together. Not just one more word, she says. Like the women, she said nothing to anyone. The three women at the tomb didn't see Jesus, neither do we. They didn't hear Jesus call their names, Neither have we. They weren't invited to touch his wounded hands and sighed. We haven't touched Jesus either. Instead, the story is left for us to finish. In our fear and amazement and even speechlessness, we are sent to go into Galilee, where we meet people like Ryan, who need us to speak the good news to them, where we run into people like Glennon Doyle Melton, who are already there to share the good news we need with us. And magic happens when we go where God sends us. Or maybe a better theological word is resurrection happens. Because through the people we meet and through us, as Nadia Boltz Weber puts it, God simply keeps reaching down into the dirt of humanity and resurrecting us from the graves we dig for ourselves through our violence our lies, our selfishness, our arrogance, and our addictions. And God keeps loving us back to life over 
and over. Who will roll away the stone for us? Resurrection is what God does. God is in the resurrection business. God did it for Jesus. God will do it for us. Not the way a genie grants wishes. That kind of magic is not resurrection. Resurrection is when God meets us at the point of brokenness, not just to be with us, but also to do something amazing, something new, new life. We may not always see it right away. We may not always understand it. The saving action of God in the world is often hidden, usually ambiguous, and never easily explained. It probably won't look like success the way the world defines success, but it will make love more possible rather than less possible, and it will definitely involve community. The church is a community of resurrection. We begin, as Eugene Peterson puts it, at the place of impossibility, at the empty tomb. And from here, we are launched into the holy life of practicing resurrection, the Christian equivalent of revolution, a life that says there is hope where others see only despair, there is life where others see only death, there is good news where the world is only focusing on bad news. Mark's non-ending does what Mark's whole gospel does. It invites openness to seeing God's work in the world when our eyes can't show it to us and when our hearts don't expect it, when we are stuck in that bad news. And it reminds us that the story isn't over because now it's our story. It just keeps on going from one life to another, touching and transforming us one by one. We are part of an ongoing Easter. Who will roll away the stone for us? We sang a bit ago that Jesus Christ is risen today. Today, today, we will see him out ahead of us in Galilee, where charity and love prevail over injustice and violence. The stone is rolled away. Where compassion and hope replace cynicism and despair, the stone is rolled away. Where peace and love take root in lives that are empty and lost, the stone is rolled away. Where human beings know joy, justice, and dignity, and delight, the stone is rolled away. And there is the risen Christ, beckoning us into Galilee. Christ is risen. This is the day that the Lord has made Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen and Alleluia.